Welcome to Heritage Tree, where we talk about heritage care and development for people and organizations. And now to our host, Dr. Dina Michelle Roscoe. In the previous episode, we talked about John 3.16 versus James 3.16 and the difference of those in God's system versus Satan's system as described by those verses. Not a small topic again, so let's pray. Thank you, God, for this day. Thank you for the sunshine. Thank you for the rain. Thank you that you give us life and eyes to see and ears to hear, a mind to understand, and a heart to be soft and believe and receive a good word and grow into it. In Jesus' name, amen. We talked about Genesis and Abraham and Sarah, and we talked about the temptations of Jesus and how these stories feed into each other. In this episode, we're going to talk about the generations, where we have different generations working out this covenantal promise, this invitation of being part of God's family tree of a gospel heritage. We have Abram and Sarai when they go to Pharaoh, and Abraham and Sarah when they go to Abimelech, and how Abraham sells his wife out under a lack of goodwill, a pretense, a false view of the other, a negative view of the people group that he was going to go see. Now we have so many generations that come out of that error along with the promise. We have the promise of God, the covenant with Abraham that he made in Genesis 12 and 15 that his nations and descendants would be great. And God repeats this promise throughout the scriptures, even all the way to Romans 11 to 14, actually 16, when it's talking about being grafted into the family tree of God and how that story plays out in the different systems and sectors and society that we find ourselves. It's an epic story, and we find that the generations coming from Abraham struggle between these two stories, these two, John 3.16 versus James 3.16. Laban with Isaac and Jacob, Jacob with Esau, Jacob with Rachel and Leah, who fight over him in jealousy, not unlike Esau and Jacob with one another and how they even used food to bargain for different things. I'll make you stew uh, you will sell. Uh, you will sell me your birthright. I will give. I sold my mandrakes for you. You have to sleep with me tonight and give me another child, with the hopes that you will love me. These are some of the tempted to say dysfunctional stories we read about that aren't unlike what we might be going through in our lives, but don't just tell people publicly on social media or otherwise. Then the big story in the second half of Genesis about Joseph and the patriarchs, the brothers that came from Leah versus the brothers that came from Rachel and how they envied him. They envied the love and doting and adoration, the favoritism that the father showed him. Granted, the uncle Laban, see this is already getting confusing, had deceived Jacob 
Jacob said, okay, I'll work for you for seven years if you give me your daughter, Rachel, in marriage because he, she was beautiful, therefore he loved her. Says he loved her. I don't know if that was love or lust. I'm not sure. But it seemed to him, it says, that the seven years were very brief, a few days, because of his love. It reminds me a little bit of the scripture of when God says a thousand years or is a day, a day is a thousand years, that to him, it's not time that's the story or the task that comes first. It's a relationship. You might notice a tension in that, in intimacy in your life, whether it's with a spouse, a parent, a friend, a child, and and even our neighbors in the times that we're in, the culture that we're in is definitely conditioned in a different way, in a James 3.16 way. And we'll get to that in a minute. Joseph and the Technicolor dream coat, the, the multiple colored, the rainbow colored dream coat, so very symbolic, so very symbolic of the covenant that God made with Noah and the different meanings that we've used to assign to rainbows, especially as an object, a transient image rather of beauty after a storm, something that you can't grasp like an object, something that you just appreciate in the moment. A reminder that God keeps his promises, just like the little sticker I had on my light switch as a child. So we have the patriarchs versus Joseph and Benjamin, as it were. Joseph had the special coat that his dad had made him. And so Joseph really was a walking anointed glimpse of beauty of an anointed king with this beautiful coat and also the visions and dreams that he had of his brothers bowing down to him. And much has been said about, well, you should probably keep those visions and dreams to yourself if the Lord is you know, putting it on you and it's not a shared vision, you know, that bragging about it to your brothers is probably not the best move. And that's what happened. It triggered even more jealous rage in them as they envied the love that they had, that he had with his father and that they did not. They envied what they did not have. And it's to a shame that that favoritism existed to begin with which again is the contrast and why it's so powerful in John three sixteen that God would so love the whole world, that he would send a what? Riches, rain, wealth, crops, a wife, <laughs> all the things that we pray to God to send us. But the promise is him. It's his descendants. It's his son. It's this gospel heritage is the prize. Then you have this screeching right turn or left, if you will, this screeching halt of the story of the narrative where Judah and Tamar come into the picture and she's Judah's daughter-in-law and she goes through his sons and all of them die through no fault of her own but she gets blamed for those tragedies implicitly and the father does not want to give his last son to her for fear of losing that son so there's hoarding and she ends up deceiving him to get her blessing not unlike Rebecca did with Isaac and her favorite son, Jacob, to deceive Isaac 
by helping her son make him stew and pretend he was Esau to get the blessing. So everyone be fighting over the blessing, not realizing that it was already spoken over them as a covenant from God, that these human actors had the agency to move it forward. But the difference was the extent to which that movement would cause pain or not. Much has been said about criticizing even Tamar's choice or even the mother-in-law of Ruth who sent her to Boaz at night. And there's a lot of negative position around or tone around what choices women made in scriptures and keeping in mind that these are actions to seize a blessing that at least they had the faith. But the challenge was they were in a system where they were put in a position of dependency on their spouse versus the egalitarian, more walking with God in the garden, family style image that we have at the beginning. They were put in this hierarchy where they had to influence that person to get their blessing. This is where it's so beautiful and poignant how when the angel appears to Mary, she's not, she's betrothed, but she's not yet married to Joseph. And she has the freedom to say, my heart shall rejoice in God, my savior. And this was the conclusion that after all of the drama and trauma that Leah had made, that after she named her children so many times that maybe this time my husband will love me, she ends up naming Judah and she names ends up naming them as, okay, now in answer to verse uh, chapter 29 of Genesis verse 31, when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So Leah conceived and bore a son and she called his name Reuben. For she said, the Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she stopped bearing. And I find it so impactful and powerful that she is going through these stages of rejection and grief and striving and contending and this competition between women over number of children. Prophecy of Jesus in Jacob's last words to all of his sons in Genesis 49. And it says, starting verse 8, Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bowed down. He bows down. He lies down as a lion and as a lion who shall rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people, binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. Reference to Jesus right there. The John 15, who refers to himself as the vine, and we are the branches, again, of his family tree. 
Genesis 49, 11, he washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes, a possible reference to the grapes of wrath that we read about in the wine press in the book of Revelation and other chapters. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Darker than wine is the blood he spilt, the love of God and the gaze of compassion as he toiled with us. The suffering servant of Isaiah 53, there is so much power here in his teeth, what we refer to in his teeth and the words that he speaks and the whiteness of them as not being a reference to race, but of the words that he spoke. John 1 verses 1 to 5, quite possibly that the light shone in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome or understand it. But Jesus being the word of God speaks, he speaks in his mouth. It is so beautiful that through all of her pain, Leah would come to a point where instead of breaking, she finally break, broke forth in praise. She chose, okay, I'm done. This is ridiculous. I'm going to just praise God. She ended at where Mary began. And this is the story of the gospel heritage of how God worked through the errors and mistakes, not to justify them, but in light of them to show mercy and compassion towards the women and children and all of us who are begotten in this world. There's so much more to say, but let me ask, when we are in, what is our response in oppressive environments? Scriptures talk about the result of oppression being outcry in the streets or people going mad, this crazy making that happens in what ends up being the James 3.16 description of narcissistic abuse. The solution is, do we heal versus harm? And why would God love us all versus choose the errant way of Satan, of pride, that only ends up inducing a lot of chaos, including the jealous self-interest. And that's what favoritism is, is it not? It's an attempt to choose one person to be a projection of you rather than letting them fulfill their destiny and their blessing in Christ and in their life. This is why we have so much strife. And you might just be walking in the blessing. You might just be walking in the work and people don't care about you so much when you're doing that, but just push them a little, spend too much time with somebody or succeed too much. And that's all it takes for them to fly off into some kind of jealous rage and try to overturn the good that you've done. One of the reasons we bring this all up is just to talk about where we see these pride-based systems play out these systems of disorder, this chaos in our culture today. And there's a lot of work that some people have done in recent years, in the last 20 years, to d detail supremacy and what that means. And of course, it's either responded to with a relief that someone understands it, or as a trigger, as if that word itself is threatening. But effectively, what I want to submit is the way of Satan is this way of what we would call any pride-based system that we saw in the Pharisees, in Job, in this volley in between generations of strife back and forth. 
of who was right and who had the wrong answer and who had the right one and who looked right and did right and who didn't. Who deserved love and affection and who didn't. Who deserved suffering and who didn't. All of this has absolutely no grounds in truth. No grounds in the truth of our identity as children of God, children of promise, and the possibility too. All of this denies the possibility of the future God has for us. Thank you for joining us. If you like what you heard, tip us at the link below and inquire, subscribe, and shop our merchandise label of Heritage Tree and Heritage at dinamichellerosco.com and dogwoodgroup.io. Come back again when we gather around the Heritage Tree.